0: Brag on uh, on a couple people real quick. One is that uh, Minda, when when she shared at the equip, um, she I mean it was just such a good message, and um, she so she was literally referenced by every speaker thereafter at, in, for the rest of the uh, equip at some point in their message, which I felt was was quite dis- telling, and um, and also. we were speaking a few months ago. Some of you may remember we kept on using a funnel as an illustration uh, for the mission that God's given us. And after one of those, the final church service where we spoke on that, Tamora came up to me and she said that as I was speaking, she felt that she saw me speaking that message in all sorts of different arenas and uh, in in larger crowds and things like that. And uh, and so I haven't told her this, but since she shared that with me, I've spoken that f- uh, four times in Placerville, California and then at the Equip in Los Angeles and then in, down- in, in, in inner city Johannesburg at the Equip in Johannesburg in front of all those people and um, at Upper Room Church, with the church that we used to lead in Johannesburg. So I've thought about that so many times and uh, how, how confirming that was. Uh, I love the prophetic. and. Um, and I just want to say, Kyle, um, I believe that, uh, you know, we were kind of chatting earlier, but I just believe that God wants to speak to you um, today. And so I'd love to have a time for us to, for, for those who want to, to pray with Kyle, if that's okay with you, because uh, I know there's some big stuff going on in life and, and kind of need guidance and all that kind of stuff. And I just have felt all morning long that God really wants to speak to you. So let's get our prophetic tuner uh, sharpened and be ready to, to, to pray with Kyle later. Okay, can we pray again? Lord, we just thank you that even as we gather together, that um, you're here in our midst. You said when two or three are are gathered together, you you are there in the midst. And we just want to recognize, Lord, we are gathered together in your name. And we thank you that you are here doing what you have always been doing and uh, you don't change. So Lord, we want to lift the ceiling off of what it is that you want to do as we gather and even more importantly as a result coming from this place as we go back into our lives. Lord, we want to pray that we would live in your purpose. And that all the mundane and the ordinary and the, thing, the things of our life, our cares and concerns, would be swallowed up by your purpose, your word, your call. Make us a people who are followers of you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to be talking about over the next couple minutes is very much the big picture of... I mean, we've just come back from a time where we've, as Minda was describing earlier, we were with the NCMI team, 500-some-odd people from all around the globe who are planting churches who are helping strengthen other churches, and especially time with Tyron Daniel, who leads the NCMI team, speaking to the team, keeping our focus on where it needs to be, speaking into how it is that we, we as team... Uh, members of that team uh, do what we do in terms of helping other churches and um, so it's definitely big picture. I'm coming back with big picture on, on my heart so that's what, what I'm speaking out of here um, but please I just want to ask that um, that we all hear this in our own context. This is not just for people who are in full-time ministry or whatever you want to We're all in full-time ministry. Every follower of Jesus is called in the same purpose just different functions. But we're all called to follow Jesus and to do the works that he did. And uh, the wonderful thing is we all, as I just prayed, we all have things in our life. I've got things in my life, you know. I've got things that need to be done and realities that we face. But all of those in the grand scheme of our lives fit into what God was doing and is doing during our time here on this earth. And I want to live and I want all of us to live in the context of that. And that hasn't changed what he's doing. So that's what we're going to be talking about here is the love of God that sent Jesus to the earth to start this thing called the church. A vision for what church, local church can and should, can and should look like in terms of how we are dwelling in this local city called Detroit and then from this place that what God wants to build and develop here needs to be exported not so that we are great, in fact, we don't even want to take any credit, but that we want to love not only our local, but even love that which is further abroad and, uh, and live in that context of what God is doing. I think that when you're in the midst of a church plant, you have the opportunity, uniquely perhaps, to really keep the main thing the main thing. I, I say that carefully because it's like when you're a bigger church, you have lots of stuff that can begin to eclipse the main thing. It's not to say that bigger churches are wrong or something like that, but when you're kind of starting off, you have the opportunity to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing that we're doing here? In God, I think it's the exact same thing that was Jesus' main thing. He went to that which did not have connection with his Father, connection with the kingdom of heaven, and he brought it to that place that in the midst of darkness, light would shine. And that that which did not see God and know God would now see him and know him and have life in him. That's, that's what it is. Cool? Yeah. And uh, I mean, that, that's actually more exciting than maybe we would realize sometimes. God's kingdom being in me and through me and actually extending into others through me. So... Let's start here, <clears throat> the big picture, kind of the first point if you would. We're going to just look at the big picture and then we're going to look at local church and then through the local church into other places. The big picture, I think if you want to boil what, we're, what the mission of Jesus is for the church down to two very simple ideas, it's this, populating, populating heaven with the people of the earth and populating the people of the earth with heaven. Populating heaven with the people of the earth, which is to say those who have not received salvation in Jesus, that they would become aware, that they would, become, they would come into the knowledge of who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and receive him by faith, and by which come into eternal salvation, thus populating heaven, evangelism, but populating heaven, excuse me, the people of the earth with, with heaven, which is to say it's not just about receiving Jesus so that we go to heaven when we die. It's that God wants to set up His kingdom and a demonstration of His kingdom through His people here on the earth. That when I receive Jesus for the first time, I'm a babe. I'm a, I'm, it's like a seed is planted in my heart. It's just a seed, it's not a full tree, it's not bearing fruit yet. But that, that seed would grow up into a manifestation of the place where it came from, which is heaven. Does that make sense? What does an apple tree, when it bears seed, develop? Or, or an orange seed, what does it develop? What does the seed of the Word of God develop? The, hey? It's precedent. Ooh, check you out. That'll, that'll preach, brother. <laughs> precedent. Yeah, exactly. It came from heaven, and the whole idea is that heaven would populate in my life, but also through my life. Just as it did with Jesus, just as it, can I say, did with the early church. So let's look at this. Evangelism and, and, and also the second part of that is, I would think, discipleship. So populating heaven with the people of the earth, that speaks of evangelism. And if you'll look with me, Mark 16, 15, uh, you can turn there quickly. And if you can't keep up, that's fine. Just pay attention. Mark sixteen fifteen. this is Jesus' um, kind of final words to his disciples. Uh, he, he says, uh, this commission, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The whole idea there is going and preaching, proclaiming. Again, we've said so many times, not necessarily sitting on a, on a soapbox and being the weirdo on the corner, with all due respect to those who have done that. It's, it's the oration. It can be over a coffee. It can be through conversation while we're at work. But it's going, the intentionality, and proclaiming what it is that we've come to know. And it says that he who believes is... Anybody remember that? He who believes is... I'll read it again. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. The whole purpose is that uh, those who believe would be saved. That's, that's I mean, that's I, half the purpose maybe, I should say. It's not the whole purpose, but that's a good bit of the purpose, is salvation of, of people, going and preaching. And then um, if you look at the second part, populating the people of the earth with heaven, which I believe speaks of discipleship. Now if you'll look with me, I'm going to read the scripture again, Mark 16, 15, and let's look at it from a different angle. He said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned." And I used to kind of struggle with that scripture because I did not understand why Jesus says to preach the gospel to creatures. He did, and that's not like a—it's not like a word that really means people. No, it means creature. (laughs) And why would Jesus say to preach the gospel to every creature? I once went to Argentina. Um, Buenos Aires and uh, there's dogs running through all the streets everywhere and we had all these pictures during this mission trip that we did and there's this one picture of me and I bent over and I was looking at the the dog and it looked like I was talking to the dog and so my my, uh, brother-in-law took the picture and he put his little caption underneath it preach the gospel to every creature and uh I, like, what does this mean? And if you dig into the original Greek word translating at, as creature, it actually means all creation. And actually what it, is, it means is every part of, of human society, of creation, every institution of human society, every facet of human life, preach the gospel into that. So what Jesus is actually saying is that the word of God, the, key, the word of the kingdom, is like a divine virus, almost like a cancer, but a good one, that is to go into not just preaching in these large auditoriums and this thing, it's to go into every nook and cranny of human life. In Tamora's uh, hair stylist thing, I, salon, I guess you would call it, into my office that I presently share with Kyle, in, in my neighborhood, in your neighborhood, the kingdom of heaven is to be a divine virus that begins to enter into human hearts in all various aspects of human society and begin to become a light in those places. That's what Jesus was saying. Preach the kingdom, preach, preach the gospel and do all creation. Every place that, that, it's not just, again, it's not preach the gospel in the church building so that people can go out from the darkness into this place, receive light and then go back and be dark again. It's actually so that we go out and we take light into all society and, in a sense, get the upper hand in our community to where once, once, what once was ruled by darkness now has a penetrating witness of life. That makes sense? Early church, Jerusalem. You could not live in Jerusalem with the first local church that ever existed without having to come into contact with something of the reality of Jesus with the miracles that were happening and the this and the that. That's what we want to see in Detroit. That it becomes hard to live and not come into co- in this city and not have to come into contact with something of this, the reality of this Jesus in the gospel. So that's what Jesus is saying. But then you'll also look with me, if you would, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Kind of Matthew's version or depiction of the same moment. Jesus says this, "...all authority in heaven and in earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth." So that particular scripture, instead of going and preaching the gospel, Matthew's version talks about going and making disciples. Similar, but not exactly the same. Preaching the gospel, not to say that that's not discipleship, but that's evangelism. That's those who don't know, believe and become saved. Making disciples is about taking somebody from that place of salvation and walking them through into maturity. And, he, and how do you do that? He says, teach them everything I've commanded you. Or teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So everything that Kyle, for an exa- as an example, in his relationship with Jesus, things that he has discovered, things that Jesus has taught him. And surely, as we walk with Jesus, he teaches us some things. He leads us into some some things. As we take steps of obedience and faith and receive that into our life, we can then teach others how to do that as well. That's what discipleship is. It's just learning from him, and then it's kind of like, you're an idiot, Jesus is amazing, he teaches me, the idiot, and I learned something from him, and now I can share it with other, other idiots. Is that, is that, is that cool? <laughs> it's kind of a crude way of saying it, but that's the reality. That's what it is. So it's discipleship. So populating heaven with the people of the earth, populating the people of the earth with heaven, that in this community called Detroit, we would have more and more lights shining, lives transformed, but that we also don't just keep it for ourselves here, We live in the context of an ever-expanding reach throughout the world in care not only about my neighborhood, but the city, the region, the state, the nation, and the nations. Okay? So let's look at this. What can a local church look like, and what should a local church even look like as we're doing this thing? As Jesus truly, not just in theory, is Lord and head of the church. I think all of us have had experience where of what this Christianity looks like where Jesus is kind of like an additional add-on, but what does it look like where Jesus is truly leading the church and people are living in a place of faith, taking steps of obedience? If you'll look, with me, we're going to look at me, we're going to look at a couple scriptures here. Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5, and Acts 8. I'm just going to read them quickly just to stir our faith about what local church can and should like with with Jesus at the helm. Are you ready? Awesome. Usually I have my wife say yeah or something, but that time, nothing. No one was ready. ready. Acts 2. Acts 2. And I'm just going well, to read verses and just point out what we're reading so that we can kind of take some bullet point notes of what, what local church looked like in Jerusalem. Acts 2, verse 41 through 47. Here are d- descriptors. In other words, this is the first local church that ever existed, and I believe that it was given to us to show us a pattern of what the kingdom of heaven looks like in the, in the community of believers, which is what a local church actually is. So Acts 2, 41 through 47, let's start there. Verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word and were baptized, sound familiar? Those who had the word preached, received it, were baptized, they became born-again Followers of Jesus, children of God, became part of the church. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So just, again, bullet points. We're just going to go through this quickly. Firstly, descriptors of a kingdom local church, you've got salvations. People who are receiving the word of God and getting baptized has to be happening. And is this thing about numbers? No. However, the author of this book somehow found out that it was approximately 3,000. Numbers matter something. You know, I say that to eight people or whatever it is. <laughs> but, but honestly, it's, I, it's like funny, but numbers don't matter in the sense that we'll be significant and important and we'll achieve w- once we have 3,000 people or whatever nonsense. No, numbers don't matter, but people matter. And numbers is just a way of counting people. And we better want to impact as many people as possible. Why? Because it was the love of God that Jesus left heaven to come into earth to make all this possible. And it's that same love that still reaches out to the people of this generation. So we have numerous salvations, but then we've got four descriptors of early church life that I think create the atmosphere in which the things of heaven happen in a church community. One is dedication or commitment. It says they continued steadfastly, which doesn't say they sat in a, in a chair and listened and kind of wonder wonder if the Tigers will win today. I'm not picking on you, Sharon. This <laughs> is the first thought that came into my head. Uh, it, no, it's continuing steadfastly. In other words, weighing it carefully and taking it seriously and allowing it to penetrate not only our heart, but ultimately our life. Living in it. Continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, which is to say the Apostles' Teaching or the Biblical Teaching. Secondly is fellowship. Now some, some, a lot of us are conditioned to think of this thing that we're doing right now as church. And this is a part of church. We've got teaching happening right now. It's, a, it's one of the four things. However, fellowship. Being together. Hanging out, having relationship, that is just as important. Fellowship, so apostles' teaching fellowship, breaking of bread, which I believe means sharing meals. We'll throw communion into that, which we're going to do in a few minutes. Uh, but breaking of bread, it is imperative that Jesus' people eat together. It's one of my favorite parts of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, breaking of bread and prayers. And uh, that's, some, that's like a lost art in much of modern-day Christianity where it's like we go to Sunday to do church and then prayer is like for some optional, those are the spiritual elites. No, it's, it's the engine room of everything that all the ministry that happens. Without prayer, we're never going to see this other stuff that we're about to talk about happening in local church. Apostles teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, oh, excuse me, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. Got it? Four things. Numerous salvations happening. Let's continue reading on. Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Just two points there. There was a culture of the fear of the Lord. In other words, not taking the reality of God lightly. That in the same way that those in heaven respect and honor God, that on earth... There's a connection to the same, not fear as in afraid of him, like, is he going to hurt me? Fear in the sense of a holy respect, which is in heaven, and we want to see populating earth in our own lives. Holy respect, but then also signs and wonders that, that were hallmark to the ministry of Jesus as he walked the earth, and were hallmark to the early church as they walked the earth continuing to follow him by by his spirit, and should still today be hallmark to the community of believers, that signs and wonders are are normative. Cool? I believe uh, a world that does not know Jesus needs to see signs and wonders, and they are available to us. Let's continue. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. what are we seeing here? we've got community sharing a kingdom culture where no one thinks of their own possessions as their own, but they they belong entirely to Jesus. My body, my mind, my soul, my spirit, it all belongs to Jesus, and everything that I own belongs to him and so we're not talking about forming a cult where all of a sudden you know everyone Put all your money into the pot and we'll all kind of live in our commune together. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about if I belong to Jesus and the body of Christ is Jesus' body, then everything that I have is at his. I I I don't hold I hold everything lightly as a gift and I and I have a heart to to just as my elbow plays a role in the greater scheme of my body, it doesn't exist for itself, it takes what it has to help the rest of the body, that's the way we live. Which is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Again, the world needs to see a culture, a community living like this. Let's go on. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There's that food thing again. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So what do we see here? We've got things like joy, the reality of joy, which is fundamental to the kingdom of heaven. We've got blessing, God's blessing upon the people. But something that I think is particularly interesting, praising God and having favor with all the people, that a church living in this way is a blessing to the community and as a result finds favor with the local community. In other words, we're blessing them and there's a positive rapport with our local community. We had the principal of Durfee Elementary come in here a few weeks ago and got up and just thanking us for our participation and helping th- that school. That's the kind of stuff of the kingdom of heaven. There should be favorable relationship with the local community, not people thinking, feeling judged and condemned by the, by the church. They should feel like we are a source of blessing. And uh, But then also this thing of the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This organic, doesn't say how they were being added, but this organic sense of increase that I believe that it happened as they were publicly preaching. I believe that it was happening as miracles were being, being done in, in ordinary life circumstances. I believe it was having, happening as people just had relationship with their family and friends and work colleagues sharing, I don't know, what did they drink in Jerusalem and 2,000 years ago, tea of some kind, sharing tea. That's how it was happening on a daily basis. Let's go uh, quickly to Acts 4. You guys okay? Acts 4, verses 29 through 33. Quickly, and then we'll look at a couple other scriptures. Acts 4, 29 uh, through 33, says, verse 29, Now, Lord, this is when some persecution happened in the same church, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Was that the apostles, or was that everyone there? Everyone there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, being everyone, spoke the word of God with boldness. So what do we see in this passage of scripture is something of the Holy Spirit coming upon and giving boldness to all believers and all believers being engaged in speaking that word with boldness. How many of you believe that we could maybe see more of that in our own lives? Not to condemn us, but just reality. Reality. This is this is reality of, of local church. Recipe, if you will, of, of how we see this thing happen. But being determined in the face of persecution we will not back down. Instead, we'll drive deeper into praying that God will give us boldness in the face of persecution to continue being about what He was about and seeing the Holy Spirit come fill our cavity even more to give us boldness to speak and to continue doing the miraculous. If you'll... Uh, if you'll Uh, switch with me next chapter, Acts 5, verses 12 through 16. It says, Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. There's that thing of favor with the community again. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. What do we see here? Again, fame recogn- or, or, or fame is maybe a difficult word, but the esteem of the local community being known as a source for healing. And blessing so much so that they brought people to them. I'm talking about unbelievers. People who weren't even following Jesus, bring their sick to these people because we, they've seen. Like people get healed here. And then, uh, and then obviously, the reality of the supernatural. Normal. This is local church. And then finally, let's look at Acts 8: 3, 3, three and four. It says, as for Saul, who many of you would know later became the Apostle Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So the last descriptor we just want to look at of this local church is that it began with the apostles kind of taking the helm, something of church community, a healing community, sharing food, sharing resource, Praying together, praising God, receiving the biblical instruction together, eating together and um, and being a blessing to the community, supernatural, the presence and the fear of God, being amongst the people, the ultimate conclusion, if you will, of this local church is that the believers, when they had to leave their community instead of thinking okay let's figure out how we can make, survive in this new community, let's get a job, and how can we figure this out? What did they do to the other communities? Ordinary believers, not the apostles, ordinary believers went about, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. In other words, a lifestyle of living on mission. Again, not cramming the Bible down people's throats, but living on mission, spreading by word, from us to others living in that missional lifestyle. That is, and so I believe persecution had to come on this, the Church of Jerusalem to kind of get them to spread. I don't even know if that was the original intent of God. I think God wanted the church to develop something of the kingdom here in their local and start to reproduce that by sending people out into other places so that other churches, or excuse me, other cities can be blessed as well. So, I want to share a a quick little story. I don't know if you've ever heard of kombucha before. Anybody ever heard of kombucha? Okay. Apparently, it's like this wonder drink. Uh, (laughs) Sharon does not believe this. I've since Googled it and discovered that uh, there are there's very little scientific evidence to verify the alleged health benefits of this drink. But kombucha is basically you take a thing called a SCOBY, which is like a bacteria thing. It's like this flat jellyfish-looking jellyfish thing, and uh, you you put it and you can give it sugar and tea, and it's going it it it, it I don't even know half of how to explain it, to be honest with you. yeah, In a jar, it ferments it is the main thing. It ferments it, and uh, as that process continues, it, it creates like a tea. Uh, it's a drink that supposedly has antioxidants in high probiotic content, good for your gut, good for your immune system, and uh, that's, so that's the, the idea anyway. I took a sip of it thinking that it was a health drink, and I, I loved it. And I had a glass of it every day while I was in South Africa. Uh, but what I learned is that I've got, we've got lots of friends who have these scobies, okay? That jellyfish-looking bacterial thing. And they put, put them in a jar, but, so, and, and, but the thing is, it produces this drink called kombucha, but the scoby itself actually reproduces itself into forming other baby scobies, if you would. And so one of my friends kind of jokingly said she's got a jar and she calls it Scoby Hotel. It's like all these like developing things. And you can, take, you can peel off one Scoby kind of level and put it into another container and start making kombucha with that. And it just reproduces and reproduces. The idea is that living things produce a uh, kind of a, a once-off blessing in the form of that Scoby produced a batch of kombucha but simultaneously it also reproduced itself into making another scoby. An apple tree, as we referenced earlier, produces a once-off blessing in the sense of an apple that gives, that gives a blessing to somebody who eats that apple, but it also produces seed that produces a whole other apple tree at the same time. We, as disciples of Jesus, produce blessings, once-off, if you will, of the fruit of God's Spirit dwelling in us, Things, maybe a prophetic word for somebody or maybe just having a heart of compassion for somebody and loving them, once-off blessings, but we also, simultaneously, while we're living in bearing fruit, we're also reproducing ourselves into forming other disciples, right? Every church is also called to produce blessings to the community, but in so doing, reproducing other churches, other local communities. It's always been the pattern of God is that he puts in what is living, seed that reproduces after its own kind. Every tree, every fruit, every animal, every human, and ultimately every local church, the new creation, reproducing after its own kind. In other words, we're supposed to live in the tension of caring about what is right in front of us while also caring about that which is beyond us. Make sense? Look with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we'll end here. Jesus, as I read earlier, Mark 16, 15 and Matthew 28, these final words. Well, this is another depiction of Jesus' final words right before he ascended. And he said, because the disciples were with him and they were asking him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he responds to them by saying, it is not for you to know this time, the times of the seasons that the Father has kept in his own authority. So that's God's authority to know all about the end times and all those kinds of things. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, you're not supposed to know the time and the season and the date of when Jesus is going to return and when this is going to happen. That's the Father keeps that. Here's what you need to be concerned about here on this earth. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the local church, or we could say Detroit, Judea, kind of the province, we might be able to say Michigan. Samaria, which is an adjoining region, we could say, I don't know, the Midwest or maybe even South, Southeast Canada, why don't we say that? For the, yeah, Ontario, I like that, exactly. Samaria and the uttermost ends of the earth. In other words, and if you look at Mark 16, 15, go preach the gospel to what? All creation. Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations. The whole context of our mission in Jesus' point of view has always been in global in scale. And so we, we, we want to see this, everything that we just read about of the local church, we want to see it happening here in our midst, in the local, so that we can export that blessing into other places. Not so that we can set up our empire, called NCMI or Border City Church. Don't even attach our name to it. Get none of the glory. Don't even worry about that. This is about loving people and, and seeing his kingdom extended and taking ground that rightfully belongs to Jesus back from our enemy. Out of a zeal for him. It's not right that people would live and die and not see Jesus in this kingdom. It's not right that people live in this earth and not see a demonstration, demonstrations of his power and his glory, something of heaven here on the earth. That, my friend, is the context of our life. That's what Jesus is doing. As grandiose as it may sound, that we're not just here serving church and doing this thing. We're here to see people, heaven populated with people and people populated with heaven. Shall we pray? Uh, we lost one of our kind of prophetic ones, tomorrow. I wanted her, um, but let's let's take communion if we can. Um, I just want to read a scripture as we're about to do this. Thanks, Mins. Um, something that I was reading earlier this week while we were gone. is um, John chapter 6 with regards to communion and we're about to partake it but I just want to say these words as we partake of communion to give it context also in regards to what we just kind of looked at in the word of God but it says in John chapter 6 verse 53 it says then Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood uh, has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Please listen to this verse in particular. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. So, the living Father sent me. This is Jesus emphasizing that life is in the Father. It's the living Father, the one full of life that sent me. I live because of the Father. So, I live, I'm alive, I have life, not just biotic life. I've got divine life, Jesus is saying, Operating in me, because I'm living, being sent by the one who has life. Making sense? And he says, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, who eats my flesh and drink my, drinks my blood, will live because of me. The one with life, the Father, sent Jesus, and as he obeyed the Father and went on G- God's mission for him, obeyed God's will, he lived in the divine life of the Father in obedience to the Father. Jesus is saying, if you do what we're about to do, partake of him, we're not just receiving his salvation, his death on the cross for us, we're also receiving his sending. Living because he has life in the context of his will and his mission. Does that make sense? We're looking for life, and oftentimes even as Christians, we look for life Outside of the context of jesus 's will for our lives we're looking for him to bless what we're doing rather than getting involved with what he's doing which already is blessed so let's feed on jesus i 'm just going to invite you to come up and you go ahead and take the the um, the, uh, the the body and blood the the bread and the and the juice let's feed on him and live in his mission so go ahead and let's receive you can just come forward and, and receive and go back to your seats and we'll partake of it together.